0: Medicaid broadcasting. we are uh, the 26th Wow this month is winding down fast <clears throat> I have to say I'm probably gonna jinx myself but uh, this is an incredibly mild winter uh, February is probably gonna suck but um, <laughs> uh, yeah we, we got dumped a couple times with snow but you know what it was very short-lived you know uh, it melted within a few days and for the past month, at least, we've had bare earth. Um, you know, this this is great for hiking. Yeah, you can even go biking in this kind of weather right, without any problem, uh, you, as long as you bundle up. But it hasn't even been that cold, though, really. Um, you know, it's been like 30s. Some days have been 40s. Um, but, you know, that's not normal, I'm sure, uh, you know, they're frigging the weather up elsewhere, and so it's, it, it, you know, it's it's turning out nice here, but they'll get around to us eventually. They, they, this is not normal. As much as I like it, uh, it's not normal. You know, New England growing up as a kid was always, always freezing cold and constant snow, constant. Not that I want that back, <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's not normal, guys. Totally not normal. Anyway, I already thanked them in emails, but thanks again to uh, a couple listeners that sent me uh, some suggestions uh, from my crappy eyesight. One guy mentioned uh, vitamin B12, and then another listener mentioned uh, an herb, I forgot what it's called now, but anyway, I looked them both up last night on eBay, and I found them pretty cheap, you know, so I went to order them, and I noticed that i had some accumulated ebay bucks i'm a pathetic ebay uh fanatic uh I, I need ebay anonymous or something it's it's really bad i'm on there all the time i spend way too much money on there but anyway i had some ebay bucks and i'm like holy crap look at that it'll it'll more than cover <laughs> i got free herbs coming to me and, and uh vitamin. uh the ebay bucks cover the whole thing it's it's neat when you go to check out and you see balance zero <laughs> That was kind of cool. I wasn't expecting that. Anyway, anyway. So yeah, I, I'm I'm already doing the ginkgo biloba thing. Uh, and then I'm you know within a few days or so, uh, by the end of the week, I should have this stuff coming in. Vitamin B1. I I never even heard of vitamin B1 being good for eyes. Uh, usually it's vitamin A that you hear about. Um, but uh, I'll I'll check it out. Sounds good. Anyway hopefully uh, i'll get a handle on this thing um like i said the doctor said it's not that my eyesight itself is getting worse per, per se it's just the eyes are getting weaker and so focusing for me is a problem well because you know i've got a bunch of eye trouble anyway but also i do a lot of reading and my eyes aren't made for reading uh my brain might be but not my eyes um you know I'm I I see long distance um they're more made for you know distant viewing which sucks why couldn't I have been a nearsighted person god damn it anyway anyway so you know hopefully uh I'll have some improvements here coming up at least enough that uh I won't have so much trouble uh you know reading researching Anyway, guys, interesting topic for today. Um, this is per request. I've had a lot of people request that I repeat uh, this set of notes from years ago back in the old Oracle days um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just such an important topic, and most listeners probably never heard this. Also, I've added you know a lot of bits and pieces to it uh, over the years, so uh you know there's a lot of new stuff in here but it is a very important topic. Uh, it's called the Jewification of Gentiles. Christianity, the Jewification of Gentiles. Uh Even though I've exposed, you know, that Jewish branch religion from many different angles before, this is probably the most important show I've ever done uh, regarding that, you know, regarding exposing Christianity as the, the Jewish uh, uh, manipulative tool that it is. And so it, it's not enough to tell Christians that the Bible's full of crap, that it has a lot of plagiarism in it, that it uh, contradicts itself, that it's not historically accurate in many ways. It, it, it's just not enough. You, you have to show them that the whole underpinning philosophy behind the thing is anti-Gentile. You have to show them that the whole thing from cover to cover was designed to manipulate the Goy, to deceive them into thinking that this small, insignificant group of, uh, of uh, tribal thugs from the Middle East uh, were desirous of using Gentiles to advance their cause, to make them look like poor victims that need to be sympathized and supported, Uh, not only because they've been trampled underfoot for so long, but because they are specially chosen by God. And that's the real clincher right there for Christians. That's the biggest factor that gets the bulk of the Christian world licking their hind parts, trying to maintain the G rating here. Um, I especially want to have a G rating for this show because people, you know, are probably going to want to share this with Christians who will be offended by uh, F bombs and whatnot. So I'm going to really try to make an effort today. But anyway, um, most Christians support uh, Israel and are the biggest of, of uh, uh, you know, Jew dupes because of that factor, because they believe that the Jews are, quote, God's chosen people. It's the biggest manipulative scam, guys, when they come up with that one. Not only does it puff up and exalt the Jewish ego, but it dupes the Gentile masses into going along with that uh, self-exaltation theme to actually lick their hind parts. It's incredibly dehumanizing and disgusting and thus they can get away and do get away with just about anything well you know the zio christian crowd when you point out uh how you know the uh, idf is is constantly murdering palestinians stealing their homes and a lot of them don't even have a problem with that because they'll say "Well, well you know god wants that land god gave it to them Wow, wow. But anyway, it's not just the Zio Christians, though. Even the, you know, the Christians, and a lot of them are decent people, yes. They're just, you know, fools, right? They're just ignorant. But, but, to some degree, they still kiss the hind parts of Jews. Even the ones who are Zio-wise and against the state of Israel, you know, blah, 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 blah. They still have it in the back of their mind that, well, there's still God's chosen people, and God still has a plan for them. And so down the line, guys, if they get their way, and unfortunately, it's really looking like they're going to get their way. If they get their Jew world order set up, and Israel becomes the epicenter of the Jew world order, a lot of these Zio-wise Christians are going to have a change of heart. They're going to see that, wow, you know, God did promise to give this land. They're they're going to be Zios, guys, even though they're not now. A lot of them are going to wind up. It's because of their belief in, in this book. It has set them up for so many toxic beliefs. To believe in this book, it all makes you their dupe, makes you moldable. If not today, tomorrow, eventually, you're going to get hooked in because you already are by believing this book. And it has Judaized you without you even realizing it. Oh, you might not endorse the observance of the the feast days, or uh, you might not even believe in circumcision, Uh, you know, whatever. But the fact that you believe in this book at all, they've got you in ways you don't even realize already. And they will have you in ways you don't even realize in the future if you believe in this book. So, you know, let's expose Christianity now, once again, from this angle, that it is in fact a means of Jewifying Gentiles. Um, So anyway, when we look at uh, the Bible, there's one thing that we must understand first and foremost, that it is in fact a Jewish book written by Jews with a Jewish agenda. That was the one thing that, um, you know, that first alerted me that first woke me up, uh, to to want to investigate the Bible critically. When I discovered that, uh, um, well, when I found out about the, you know, the, the first Zionism and then later the the more broader, uh, Jew factor, it wasn't enough for me to discover that Zionism was a problem. I needed to realize that Jews have always been playing this game, not just since 1895 with Theodore Herzl. Once I realized that they had a long history of pulling fiascos, going back to the ancient times, it was inevitable that I was going to start to have to question the Bible, Right uh you know i had already seen problems with organized religion i had already had my faith shaken in that sense i realized you know organized religion religion was a fraud and then i had uh, a friend share with me some contradictions in the bible that i had no answer for once i saw that and then i realized that you know the the broader problem with judaism i had to question i realized I, i couldn't avoid it now even though Previously, I thought questioning the Bible was blasphemy. I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on here. is it at least possible that this book is, uh, you know, an ancient Zio creation? Is it possible that these evil Jews that I have seen, you know, running the world down, down through, you know, since ancient times, is it possible that they created this book for the same reason? It was only when I looked into the Bible from that perspective that I finally was able to, quote, see the light and give the whole thing up. I realized I had to. In the light of the the contradictions I was finding and seeing that it's not the infallible Word of God, it finally opened me up. uh, Having discovered the the Jew factor, too, you know, it finally opened me up. And, guys, once I did that, oh, my God, it wasn't pleasant, I got to tell you. It's not easy giving up something you've, you know, had your faith in for so long. But once I began looking at the Bible skeptically like that, it, it was over. It was over. I now began to see, with the turning of every page of that book, the Jewish agenda, exalting themselves above Gentiles, trampling Gentiles underfoot, using Gentiles as, you know, cannon fodder, using them as, as uh, tools to advance their cause. It's on every page of the all right, guys, we had some uh, technical difficulties, but uh, we're back up and running again. I just got to find out where I left off now. Um, generally, I was just talking about, you know, the the all the problems with uh, Christianity that no matter how you slice it, it comes out Judaism in the end, um, even for the Jew-wise Christians who think that. They can still maintain their faith. Um, You know, a lot of them actually reject the Old Testament. And they think somehow that, you know, they they can still continue on with their belief system. But what they don't realize is Christianity itself is Judaism. It's every bit as much Judaism as the Old Testament. It might not seem so at first because it's not quite so blatantly obvious. Uh, they had to temper things down to make it look more appealing to Gentiles. You know, Judaism didn't so openly appeal to Gentiles uh, prior to that time because they saw it wasn't working. It was too blatantly opposed to, to Gentilism. Oh, yes, they did pick up a few converts here and there. Moses even called for that, actually. Well, a lot of people are surprised to find out, but if you look back in the book of Exodus, Moses was told to... uh um, except those who joined their camp as though they were born among them. But not many were joining. That's the problem. And they needed uh, Gentiles, actually, around the time of Christ, you know, to recruit them for uh, assistance with uprisings. And so that's one of the reasons Christianity was created, guys. And Paul took it to new levels, of course, when he came along. Um... But um, anyway, nevertheless, even though things were tempered down a little bit with the New Testament from how they were with the Old Testament, it's still a Jewish supremacist uh, religion. It is. It was designed to manipulate Christians and to actually uh, uh, Jewify them. So let's get into this to see how this actually plays out. Jesus actually set the stage for this even though he was a rabid Jewish supremacist, right? I came only for the lost house. I lost sheep of the house of Israel. He made it clear that that's all he really intended to do was just appeal, uh, you know, to Jews. He went out to try to find the, the, the lost sheep, you know, the lost tribes. He went to the, you know, the Gadareans, which as it turns out was actually in Spain. The boat that he got in and the, the, the body of water he journeyed across was not the so-called Sea of Galilee. Uh, It was actually the Mediterranean. He went to Spain to try to get some of the lost tribe members that had migrated there. He wanted to recruit them for the uprising. He needed numbers, large numbers, to overawe the Roman presence there. Anyway, um, but as time went on, he realized that this strategy wasn't going to work, you know. just depending on on Jews, he had to uh, recruit Gentiles. So toward the end of his so-called ministry, he started reaching out or at least dropping the idea that, you know, Gentiles were going to be needed. What he was trying to do is force the hand of the scribes and Pharisees that weren't supporting his insurrectionist movement and weren't accepting him as the, the Messiah. He was trying to force their hand by threatening them either you come around and join ranks with us and help us rise up against Rome, or you're going to get taken down. He wasn't saying it outright, but he was dropping hints by saying things like, you know, uh, the stones of this temple will be cast down. There won't be one stone left upon another. He said that in, you know, Matthew 24, for example. He was telling them, if you don't join ranks with us, we're going to have the Romans, we're going to assist the Romans to, to march in and take this whole structure down you will pay for your lack of of support for our movement Um, and what will happen is we'll bring in gentiles something you know that you're opposed to jesus was opposed to it too He didn't want to have to do that he wanted it to be a strictly jewish movement but he realized that they couldn't get their way And, and and so paul came along later and really picked up the torch on that one and turned Christianity into a seemingly Gentile religion, but in reality, it was always Jewish. Paul said, I am a Pharisee among the Pharisees, you know. Um, Even though he told other people, you know, not to participate, not to observe old, outmoded Jewish customs that Jesus had supposedly nailed to the cross, right? Paul himself, secretly behind the scenes, was practicing them. Paul uh circumcised uh, a man after his so-called conversion to Christianity he was still practicing circumcision he observed the feast of tabernacles the, the 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 uh the feast of unleavened bread i mean you name it he observed all the jewish feasts that he told the gentile christians were dead ordinances paul was a phony he was a hypocrite he only pretended uh, to be against these Jewish practices, when he was actually all for them. He condemned, uh, you know, the, the the Jewish Christians like Peter, James, and John for observing these things when he observed them himself. This is all pointed out in my you know, my book, uh, What is Wrong with the Bible. Anyway, but my point is, Christianity was just being used as a means when it was seen that the Pharisees couldn't be brought around. It was being used as a means to recruit Gentiles for insurrectionism. And so Jesus gave hints that that's what was gonna happen. Uh, In the context of a parable, for example, uh, about himself uh, and his uh, rejection by the uh, Jewish leadership, Jesus made it clear that another group would be shown favor by God other than the Jews that they continued to reject him. It was almost a, you know, a threat. It was a veiled threat under the guise of a parable. Um, and so here's how this reads. This is, um, uh, what am I quoting from here? Matthew 21, verses 33 to 43. And so here's what Jesus said. Here is another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it around about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out or lent it out, uh, you know, to uh, husbandmen and went into a far country. And uh, when the time of the fruit drew near, you know, for for reaping, uh, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it or or you know reap reap the harvest and the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same unto them he's making a comparison here in this parable between you know god uh working his vineyard you know his 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 people um, and how the husbandmen, well, his people, the, the world in general, and that the husbandmen, i.e. the Jews, his chosen ones, weren't doing the job that he expected of them. So he would send more hus- husbandmen, you know, uh, 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 more servants to assist, and all that the overlords did w- was beat them or kill them. He's talking about, you know, the Jews in the past that would stone the prophets and whatever, right? But look what he goes on to say. Last of all, he sent unto them his son, meaning himself, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, uh, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and uh, let us seize his inheritance. So Jesus is telling them, this is what you're doing to me. You want to kill me. Uh, so God's going to punish you for this. If you don't accept me, he was trying to force their hand. He was basically threatening them. Uh, and they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. He's referring to himself and the Jewish leadership killing him, right? When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard comes, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They, meaning the Jewish leaders, say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, meaning the Gentiles, which, uh, I mean, in the context of this parable, that's what Jesus was implying here, what he was trying to show them. If you don't do the job that's expected of you and accept me, uh, the son of the, the, you know, the landlord, God's going to miserably destroy you, and he's going to give this vineyard out to others, i.e. the Gentiles. Jesus said, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. Again, he's talking about himself, the head of the corner, the cornerstone of the the temple. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Jesus was threatening the Pharisees. Unless you accept me, the son of the landlord of the vineyard, right, Uh, then the kingdom's going to be taken from you and given to others, meaning the Gentiles. So Jesus, not that he really wanted that, he wasn't intending that, but he was hoping that this would force their hand so they would finally accept him uh, as the Messiah and go along with his insurrectionist movement. This is the same tactic that other insurrectionists of that era had had, uh, employed, by the way. They all played similar games like this, using religion as a means to to achieve their political aims. Um, But that is what, what wound up happening. The Jews did reject him, the Jewish leaders. And so, you know, the Jesus movement uh as well as Josephus he was involved in this he was all for overthrowing the Romans right later when he saw that it was going to mean his own death he had a change of heart and now he sided with the Romans Uh, but that wasn't his original plan he wanted to overthrow you know the Roman he also wanted to overthrow the scribes and Pharisees because they weren't supporting the insurrectionist movement just like Jesus anyway so that is ultimately what, what wound up happening the threat that Jesus made here in this parable is what wound up happening. The, the, you know, the kingdom was taken from from the Jews, right? Because the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And so now the tactic was to use Gentiles to convince them that this religion now was for them. It was never intended for them. It was always intended originally for Jews. Jesus said, let me remind you, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's all he cared about initially. It was a Jewish religion. Uh, um For Jews. That's all Christianity was. In fact, even after Christ's death or supposed death, um, many of the Christian leaders in Jerusalem, like Peter, James, and John, still remained Jews. They still went to the temple every week. They were just Jews who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, but they were still Jews accepted by other Jews because a lot of those other Jews accepted other messianic figures from the first century. As the Messiah. They might have had bitter disagreements uh, in that regard, but they were still, you know, they still considered each each other fellow Jews and worshiped together in the same temple. You see what I'm saying? Christianity originally was nothing but another branch Jewish religion, just like the Essenes. There were a lot of Essenes who lived right there in Jerusalem and went to the temple every week. A good many also you know, divorced themselves from the Jewish community and lived out in the Qumran uh, uh, compound there, you know. But there were still many that lived right there in the community, and they worshipped along with the rest of the Jews in the temple, just like the Christians did, guys. This is what many Christians fail to recognize. Judaism and Christianity is one and the same thing. That changed, though, after the Roman sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD. Now Christianity, with a lot of help from Paul, had become, but it became official after the sacking of Jerusalem when the Jewish leadership was destroyed, Christianity now had become a seemingly separate religion. It now took on a, a Gentile overtone because so many Gentiles had converted, they far outnumbered the Jewish converts, right? And so the impression is today with with almost all Christians uh, that Christianity is, in fact, a Gentile religion. No, it never was intended to be, and it only has the appearance of such now. But it was always intended by Christ himself and the original apostles to be nothing but a Jewish branch religion. And so we're going to see as we go through these uh, uh, notes here that that's that is the case that all it was intended to do christianity was to recruit gentiles to have them convinced that it wasn't a jewish religion but behind the scenes they were recruiting gentiles into judaism for a for a judaic cause i.e you know to overthrow the romans when that didn't happen hey the, the, the idea was, hey, well, why not keep this thing going? We've got so many converts, the money's rolling in. Let's keep it going. In the future, we can use these suckers for other insurrectionist purposes or whatever else comes down the pike. But in the meantime, why, you know, give this up? We've got a good thing going. We're making a lot of money. We're suckering a lot of Christians to into supporting Judaic causes without them even realizing it. And we've got them respecting us as God's chosen people, even though, even though they think that we killed Christ. Who cares? Let them think that. As long as we can still use them. This is exactly all Christianity ever was and still is. Jews laugh at Gentiles who think that they are a part of a Gentile religion when they call themselves Christians. They laugh. They laugh. When all the while, they're worshiping a Jew. And they're following their Jewish God and their Jewish ideology, their Jewish philosophy. Even if you claim to be, quote, Jew-wise, you're still following a thoroughly Jewish religion. Anyway, similarly, Jesus said that uh, many people from many different lands, i.e. Gentile countries, would one day uh, wind up sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh whereas the Jews themselves or the Jewish leaders you know the children of the kingdom as a whole would be cast out because of their rejection of him as the messiah here's how he put it in uh Matthew 8 11 and 12 this was again another veiled threat that Jesus was making to the scribes and Pharisees you better accept me or god's going to call the gentiles his chosen ones and you're going to be rejected as the chosen ones what he really meant was We're going to, you know, revamp Judaism with a new religion that I'm starting. It's going to be comprised mostly of Gentiles. He didn't want that, but he didn't care. He was so desperate. He was willing to resort to that, you know, to to take away their power, their control. Uh, It was just two Jewish factions vying for control. That's all it was. That's all Christianity was. That's all that all of the insurrection of, of the first century were about, guys. Essentially, all of them were religious leaders. Some of them worked in tandem with each other. Others were adamantly opposed to each other and wanted to start a whole new Jewish sect and hoping to overthrow all the other existing sects, and they would become the predominant. But it doesn't matter. They were all Jews, all pushing one form of Judaism or another. What a mess. All of those religious leaders, though, when they died, their religion died with them. The only exception is Jesus. And the reason his movement lasted is because he appealed later with a lot of help from Paul, uh, appealed to Gentiles. And so it caught on and spread outside of Jerusalem or, or around the whole world. That's the only reason why it lasted and the others faded out. But anyway, here's what Jesus said in, um, uh, yeah, Matthew 8, 11, and 12. I say unto you, Uh, Again, the Jewish leaders, that many shall come uh, from the east and from the west, meaning outside of Israel, from the Gentile world, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, meaning the Jews, the Jewish leaders particularly, will be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This was a threat, again, to the Jewish leadership. You better accept me as the Messiah, or you're going to be cast out one day. You're not going to be allowed into heaven. Only those who come from the east and the west outside of Judaism, only the Gentiles who join ranks with my movement will wind up going to heaven. They'll be the new chosen people. They'll be the ones to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, like that should be something we all should want, right? Unfortunately, Christians have been duped into thinking that it's something they want. If you actually understood what scoundrels Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob actually were, you would never want to sit down with them in the kingdom of God. They were scum of the earth. And I proved that in my book, What is Wrong with the Bible. Anybody wants it, just drop me an email, truthhootsradio at AOL.com. I'll be happy to send it to you. And uh, read it and weep. That's all I can say. Read it and weep. You've been duped. The Bible is not what you think it is at all. All the great heroes of the Bible that are put up on a pedestal are scumbags. Every last one of them. You can prove that by actually reading, paying attention to what you're reading from the Bible itself. Most Bible dupes never do that. They just read it on the surface. They'll read it in the context of how their minister quoted it to them the previous week in church, but they never actually examine it carefully with a critical eye to see that, holy crap, these people I've been looking up to is wonderful, exemplary people, individuals, godly people. Are wretches. Moses was a mass-murdering guerrilla warfare uh, tyrant, an ethnic cleanser, a scumbag. Joseph was a monstrous, murderous thief. Abraham was a pimp. He pimped his wife out twice, and then his beloved son Isaac did the same thing later on, learning from Dada. He was a pimp. His wife was a whore. I mean, it's 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 so plain right before your eyes. Read the damn thing. This book is so powerful in its deceptions that it has people looking up to scoundrels, to murderers, to thieves, the most vile, filthy pigs. Here's Jesus looking up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and telling his followers that. It's something they should look forward to, to sit down with these great men at God's table in the kingdom. Are you kidding me? There's nothing great, nothing admirable about these scoundrels at all. The very fact that Jesus upheld them as such, right there alone should tell you there's something wrong with this character. Oh, Christian dupes out there, you'd better open your eyes. As much as it sucks, have to come to grips with the fact that you've been duped by your religion, by your holy book, that your God is not what you thought it was. You've got to do it. This book is ruining you in so many ways. It's manipulating you. Down the line, it's going to burn you if you continue to follow it. It's leading you off the edge of the cliff. To further show that the nation that Jesus referred to in this uh, last quote, or, or the couple quotes ago, you know, he said the kingdom shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruit. To prove that he was referring to Gentiles there uh, and not to Israel. First Peter two nine is an interesting passage uh, to make note of, which says, "But ye," Peter here is addressing addressing the Christian church in general, right? He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There you go. Remember, Jesus said it'll be given to another nation, the kingdom of God will be given to another nation. Peter says that you Christians are that holy nation, um, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter is now referring to to Christians in the same way that Jews were traditionally referred to as. Uh, In fact, if you look at Exodus 19, five and six, you'll see that. Here we read, now therefore, if you will obey my voice, indeed said God to the Old Testament Israelites and keep uh, my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. Remember Peter said you are a peculiar treasure or a peculiar people? Here's that same term used by Yahweh referring to Israel. You shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Notice, above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the same phrases Peter just used in the passage I just read, referring to Gentiles, right? He's telling Gentiles, You're now the chosen people, exactly like Jesus said, the kingdom would be taken from you and given to another people, to Gentiles. You see what's going on here? uh, Christianity is nothing but warmed over Judaism. It's a means of recruiting Gentiles from a Jewish cause. That's all it ever was. You should be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, uh, says the book of Exodus. These are the words... uh, which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, said Yahweh to Moses. Peter was loosely quoting from this passage, using these same labels that were used for Israel exclusively in the book of Exodus, and now applying them to Christians, which by that time were mostly Gentiles, right? Do you see how Christianity is the Jewification of Gentiles? It's making them God's chosen people, And don't think that Peter said that because he genuinely cared about Gentiles. No, don't forget, please don't forget that years after Christ's alleged death, burial and resurrection, Peter was still a snobby Jew who refused to even sit down and have dinner with Gentile. Paul had to publicly embarrass him to get him to change his ways. Not because Paul cared about sitting down and having dinner with Gentiles. He couldn't stand them either. He was a Jewish supremacist extraordinaire, as I point out in my book, as Paul himself reveals, if you look carefully at his his own writing. But anyway, Paul only wanted, at least on the surface, wanted Gentiles to be accepted. And as much as he hated it and had to grit his teeth through it, he knew it was the only way to recruit them to deceive them, to joining ranks with them, getting them to think that in doing so, they're following God, when in fact, they're following the Jewish supremacist agenda. It is so vital for Bible dupes to snap out of their delirium and see what's actually going on here, to see why Christianity actually arose, to look at the proper context of it, and you can see it all laid out right here in the pages of the Bible itself. It's always been there. But Christians have never seen it because they've never looked at the Bible from this angle. They've only viewed it as the Word of God and read it in, in the context of the way it's quoted to them, again, from their ministers. Forget all of that. It, 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 it's a horrible thing again to come to grips with, guys. I, I know that myself firsthand because years ago, oh boy, it, it was uh, you know it, it was nasty. It was horrible for me to to come to realize that this book had me deceived. That it it, it was you know that I had been Jewified, even though I didn't you know I wasn't an Israel worshiper. Um, mm-hmm. Nevertheless, following this book made me jewified even the so-called jew wise christians are still jewified they don't realize it but following this book in any way shape or form means you're jewified there's another passage like this from uh deuteronomy uh 4 uh, 14 verse 2 for thou art a holy people unto the lord thy god said god again to old testament israel and the Lord has chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. There's that word peculiar again. Remember, Peter was telling the mostly Gentile Christian church, you are a peculiar people unto the Lord, a peculiar treasure. Using the same terminology that was used for Israel in in Old Testament times, just as Jesus had said, the kingdom will be taken from you, the Jewish leaders, and given to another people, another nation, Peter is telling us right here, confirming who that other nation was, who it was intended to be if the Pharisees had, in fact, rejected Christ, which they did. Do you see how this played out? What Jesus said, which he was hoping wouldn't have to come to pass if the, the, you know, the Jewish leadership went along with his shenanigans. They didn't go along with it, so it did come to pass, and Peter here was confirming it. You are that nation, the very nation Jesus said the kingdom would be given to after taken from the Jewish leaders. You are that nation, Peter says. You, Gentiles, are now that nation, that chosen nation, pumping them up with the propaganda that now you're chosen too. You're special of God. Did he believe it? No. He was a snob who wouldn't even sit and have dinner with uh, with Gentiles. But he realized now, because Paul embarrassed him, and if he went against Paul, he knew it would split the whole church, the whole thing would fall apart, right? So he, he, Paul forced his hand. So grudgingly, he went along with it and realized, yeah, well, as much as I can't stand Paul and his, you know, recruitment, mass recruitment of of, of Gentiles, uh, the whole church thing is going to fall apart for us and for Paul if we have this big schism over this issue. So he went along with it. And later, to gloss it over, to make it look appealing, he claimed that God gave him a vision to show him that Gentiles are to be accepted as much as Jews. Why did Peter not see that long earlier when Christ was alive, right? If Jesus had intended, really intended, for Gentiles to be accepted like Jews, he would have told him. Or, you know, Or God up in heaven would have made sure that he was informed of it in one way or another. If or if no the reason to save him the embarrassment of Paul making him look like a fool publicly, right? You see what I'm saying? You see what a miserable failure Christianity is just on this level alone uh, uh, regarding this matter. How could an all-wise, all-knowing God not see to it that Peter was informed that Gentiles should not be snubbed? What a miserable failure of a God that is to let Peter have to be embarrassed about it publicly, and then to make a story up that God showed him in vision after Paul embarrassed him? Why didn't God show him in vision before Paul embarrassed him? Think about it. You Bible dupes out there, do you not see? This puts your God in a very bad light and makes him look like a donkey's behind, doesn't it? What an incompetent God you're worshiping. Just on this basis alone, he should have made Peter aware of this a long time ago. Jesus should have done it. Jesus is a failure, too, if, in fact, he intended Gentiles, uh, you know, to be a part of his kingdom. He didn't. He only later on used Gentile conversions, uh, you know, as a threat to try to force the hand of the Jewish leadership. It's so clear. Employing a totally different analogy, Jesus told another parable uh, about the Jews to illustrate yet again how they were soon to forfeit their chosen status uh, to the Christian church if they didn't, you know, accept him as their their Lord and master. This is from Matthew 22, verses 1 to 10. The kingdom of heaven is like unto uh, a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them uh, that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them uh, which are hidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their way one to his farm and another to his uh, merchandise. In other words, they didn't really care, you know. Uh, They were being invited to this wedding, but uh, they didn't take up the offer and and ignored it. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully uh, and slew them or killed them. But when the king heard thereof, he was angry with them, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up the city. Again, he's threatening them here, tongue-in-cheek fashion. He's telling them, you'd better accept this invitation to the kingdom by accepting me as the Messiah. Or the king, i.e. his daddy Yaya, is going to send in armies to destroy your city and you know burn it to the ground. He's threatening them that Rome is going to come in. We're going to actually, you know, my followers are going to actually assist the Romans to come in and destroy the city. You're going to lose everything unless you join ranks with me. That's what he's saying here. Then he went on to say, then said he unto his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden, meaning the Jewish leaders, were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways. And as many as you shall find, bid them to the marriage, meaning outside of uh, Judea, the Gentiles. Go invite them. I'll have them as my guests instead. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together uh, as many as they found, both bad and good. And uh, the wedding was furnished with guests. Once again, guys, it's very obvious what his meaning here is. He's threatening the scribes and Pharisees. If you don't take up my, uh, my invitation, if you don't accept it and, and follow through with it, you're going to suffer the consequences. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, and we're going to reach out. My movement is going to reach out to Gentiles. And so that's all Christianity was, guys. Jesus saying, "Okay, you guys rejected me. Paul came along and picked up the torch. You rejected me as the Messiah. So now we're going to use Gentiles to advance advance our, our, our agenda, our Jewish agenda of world domination. They hoped to get this thing underway two thousand years ago. If the Jewish leadership went along and they could amass, you know, a big enough following, they not only really wanted to kick the Romans out of Judea, but from there, they intended to overthrow Rome. They had a bunch of insurrectionists, guys." Launching uprisings in Rome. The Great Fire uh, under Nero was one example of that. Um, and, you know, the the uprising by Judas Crestus, which, if, if you ask me, was actually Jesus Christ. I mean, Crestos, Christos, are you kidding me? Christians, Christians. Some of the early church fathers, uh, you know, recognize that most likely they were the same person, and they they went, underwent great efforts to try to hide that fact. They wanted to pretend. Uh, you know, they tried to 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 uh, give the impression that uh, oh no, that was somebody else, that was somebody different. I, I guarantee you, it was the same person, guys. Crestos and Christos were one and the same. I cover that in my uh, my book as well. Again. Drop me an email, TruthHertzRadio at AOL.com. I'll send you. You you can read about this. It's thoroughly covered in that book, Um, both from the Bible and from outside historical uh, sources as well. But you you can actually see what was going on right in the page of the Bible itself once you start reading it with a critical eye. Anyway. Let's look now um at how the New Testament teaches that when you become a Christian you actually become children of Abraham by faith i.e. you become a Jew John the Baptist another uh scene told the uh Jewish leaders of his day not to be self-confident in thinking that uh, they had special favor with God just because they were natural-born Jews. Here's how we put it in uh, Luke 3, verse 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say among yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these very stones to raise up children of Abraham. Here was another threat. This time by John the Baptist, another insurrectionist, a threat that if you don't uh, accept this new movement, the insurrectionist movement that him and, you know, Jesus were uh, creating, if you don't accept it and join ranks with us and stop supporting or going along with Rome, then you will no longer be called the children of God and we will have uh, others who are not Jews, declared children of God. Yea, he says, the very stones here uh, by the riverside, if God so chooses, he could make them children of Abraham. So if he could make stones children of Abraham, he certainly could make Gentiles children of Abraham. It was just a threat. Again, not that he really wanted that. He, like all Jewish supremacists of, of every age, despised Gentiles but recognized that they could be used as a powerful uh, tool, useful idiots for their cause if need be, if they didn't get the support that they wanted from the scribes and Pharisees. Paul uh, later crystallized this thought when he wrote the following uh, passages. The first one we'll look at here is from uh, Romans 9, 6 to 8. Paul said, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Um, In Isaac, you know, shall thy seed be called. Paul is making the point here that not all people who are physical descendants of Abraham are really God's children, and consequently, Not all of those who are not physical children of Abraham are, uh, you know, exempt from uh, God's blessings and and, uh, cut off from potentially being being part of God's, uh, uh, you know, chosen. In other words, non-Jews under the banner of Christianity are going to be considered and are being considered children of Abraham if they accept Christ by faith at the same time you who are Jews who reject Christ even though you are children of Abraham physically you are not considered children because you reject this movement do you see how Paul was uh carrying on the same crap that Jesus was threatening the the, the Jewish leaders with Paul continued with it uh this was around 50 AD 20 years after those you know The time of Christ's crucifixion, right? Paul is still playing the same game here. He's still trying to force the hand of the Jews. This is before the Roman sacking of Jerusalem 20 years later in 70 AD. He's still trying to force their hand here. You still have a chance. The Romans haven't come in yet and sacked Jerusalem, although they will. And he was trying to get them to believe that it would be a punishment from God. It was the insurrectionists that brought this on. But, you know, he was giving them the the impression that God's going to punish you. He's going to bring the Romans in and destroy you. And you won't be the chosen ones anymore. We're going to recruit Gentiles. They'll be the chosen ones. He was trying to force their hand. Um, He said, they which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Once again, he's making the point here. You who claim to be children of God, you're not if you don't accept Christ, if you don't join this insurrectionist movement, in other words, only those who have faith in Christ are the true children of Abraham again, guys, Paul didn't mean a word of this; he was just doing it to force the hand of the scribes and Pharisees and to manipulate the Gentiles to join forces with him. You see what's going on here, and to this day millions and millions of, yay, a billion people around the world, about a billion Christians in the world, are still following this baloney, are still falling for this, this lie. Here's another passage from Paul, Galatians uh, 3, 7 to 9, and then verses 26 to 29. Paul said, Know ye, therefore, that you which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. As long as you have faith in Jesus, you're a child of Abraham, i.e., you're a Jew. Paul was brainwashing Gentiles into becoming Jews. Do you see how hypocritical he was? On the one hand, he was condemning uh, what he called the Judaizers, you know, the more openly Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, like Peter, James, and John. He was actually criticizing them as Judaizers because they were practicing the old Jewish uh, laws, right? Right. When in fact, Paul practiced them himself secretly behind closed doors when his Gentile followers weren't watching. This is all in the New Testament, guys. It's in my books. Read it. See for yourself. Paul was a phony. A colossal hypocrite. He was as Jewish as you can get. He was only pretending, uh, you know, to, um, be against these old Jewish laws just to deceive his Gentile, gullible followers. And, uh, but all the while he claimed to be against, you know, the Judaizers and, and the old Jewish laws. Not only was he following those Jewish laws, but he was actually telling his Gentile Christians that they were becoming Jews by accepting Christ. On the one hand, he said, there's no more Jew, there's no more Greek, right? That was to to, to sucker the Gentiles, to get them, you know, to to flood into the church. But then he would turn around and say, once he got them hooked in, you are now children of Abraham. If there truly was no Jew and no Greek, why would he tell them that you are children of Abraham and and thus becoming Jews? You see the the doublespeak here. He went on to say uh, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify... The heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Really, what that passage is saying is one day all nations are going to be blessed through you, Abraham, because you're going to rule over them. Who's the real blessing for? There, not the Gentiles, the Jewish overlords who are going to rape and pillage everything, just like they did to the ancient Egyptians, guys, under the Hyksosian occupation. Did they bring a blessing to Egypt? No, everybody was desperate in want because the tribes sucked the life out of them. People died from starvation because their jobs were stolen, just like what's happening to us right now through the COVID nonsense raping us. All the money is funneling up the top. Oh my God, it's the same old pattern. All nations will be blessed. Oh yeah. When they say blessing for others, they mean a curse. It's only a blessing for themselves. But anyways, Paul went on to say, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For you are the children of God by faith in Christ. Uh, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There you go, guys. Heirs of what? according to the promise. What promise? The promise that God made to Jews. He's telling Gentiles, even though all the while he's saying, there's no more Jews, there's no more Greeks. He's actually telling Gentiles that you're becoming Jews when you become Christians. You're becoming children of Abraham. He's getting them to identify themselves with Judaism to identify themselves as Jews, as children of Abraham. You know, that guy that prostituted out his wife, Abraham the pimp. Oh, yes, that's a person we should all want to be children of now, isn't it? This is all Christianity is. It's a cloaked means of recruiting Gentiles into Judaism while yet all the while convincing them that, oh, no, this, is, this has nothing to do with Judaism. No, 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 no. We've moved beyond that now. There's no more Greek, no more Jew, no more. Look at the BS, guys. There's another passage along that line. This is from Romans 2, 28 and 29. Um, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly neither is the circumcision which is outward in the flesh but he is a jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of god again paul is saying the same thing that we saw jesus saying the same thing we saw peter saying threatening the jewish leaders right that you don't matter anymore if you're a physical descendant of Abraham. What matters now is that you become children of faith through Christ, that you accept Christ and Christianity. Do that, and uh, you'll have favor with God and man, and God will bless you. Don't do that, and the Romans are going to come in and destroy you. This was Paul's last desperate attempt to get the Jewish leadership, you know, to conform. And he was hoping it would work because of the great numbers of Gentiles that were converting that they were over uh Jews and, 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 you know, actual Jews, claiming to be Jews. It was just a mind, you know, manipulation game. And anyway. But uh, check it out, guys. All the while that Paul was saying this, I have to repeat this. It's so important for you to understand this colossal hypocrisy. All the while he was saying that, uh, you know, like, for example, circumcision is not of the flesh, but of the heart. All the while he was saying this. He went so far as to say that those who practiced circumcision were dogs, uh, that they were enslaving people with bondage, right? He himself still practiced circumcision. He circumcised people himself. This is recorded in the book of Acts. Go read it for yourself. It's in my book. He was not against circumcision. This was just a little game he was playing to fool Gentiles and to threaten the Pharisees. And don't think the Pharisees didn't know that he was still circumcising. Of course they did. He did in the temple, guys. But they didn't say anything to point out his hypocrisy because they knew that he had such a large recruitment of Gentiles that he would carry through with his threat, bring that army of Gentiles in and overthrow the temple. Ultimately, what happened is the temple was overthrown, but it was done by the Romans. But uh they were afraid of Paul. And even though they couldn't stand him and wanted him killed, uh they knew that, you know, if they did anything and their their fingerprints were on the, the trigger of the gun, uh, it would spell their own destruction, you, you know. It was a very volatile uh, situation. Anyway, Paul made this point even more clear uh, when he wrote this to the Romans, Romans 2.26. If the uncircumcision, i.e. the Gentiles, keep the righteousness of the law Shall not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision, or i.e. being a Jew? There you go. There you go right there. As long as Gentiles keep the righteousness of the law, live a good life, and accept Christ by faith, then they'll be considered circumcision, i.e. Jews. They'll be considered Jews. You, on the other hand, you scribes and Pharisees that reject Christianity, that reject Christ, Even though you're circumcised, even though you're Jews, you won't be considered Jews. He was spiritualizing the whole thing. Once again, not only to force the hand of the scribes and Pharisees to convert, but to deceive the Gentiles, to sucker them in to becoming Jews without, you know, um, without them really realizing it, even though he was telling them that that's what they were doing. He was claiming that there's no more Jew, there's no more Greek, feeding them with this double speak, having them convinced that, you know, Christianity is really a, a, a Gentile movement. Uh, it, it sprang out of Judaism, but it's really for Gentiles. God loves all people equally while yet telling them, you are becoming Jews when you join this movement. He said this to the Colossians, chapter 2, verse 11 You are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Again, just wording it differently, but making the same point. This point is made over and over and over again. You, you can't deny it. You can't avoid it. Um, in the passage that follows, Yahweh allegedly told Moses in Exodus 12, 48 and 49, a foreigner residing among you Who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised, then he may take part as one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat uh, of it, meaning the Passover. The same law applies both to the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. This actually was yeah you know was Moses's intent, Yahweh's intent going way back to the time of the Exodus. Or the, you know the time of Moses. Um the Exodus really was the time of the Hyksos expulsion, but n- nevertheless this this was going way back now, way before the time of Christ. That was Yahweh's intention, you know, or Moses's intention way back then that the the Gentiles that joined themselves and there weren't many, but It did happen. There were Gentiles who were deceived by Jews back then, too, who joined ranks with them. And when they did, they were to be accepted as though they were born among them. But it never really caught on. They never really were able to recruit a lot of Gentiles. And uh, for the most part, Jews didn't like Gentiles anyways. And a lot of Jews didn't go along with that, even though it was written in, in, in the book of Exodus. They never really went along with it. But now, with the insurrectionist movement of the first century, Paul, Jesus, Peter, as we have seen, were resurrecting this old idea because they realized, even though they couldn't stand Gentiles, we need more forces on our side so we can overawe the Romans. The Romans, you know, were very powerful. We can't go this alone. And so this is why not just Christianity, several other religious movements of the first century were uh, cooked up for that same reason. But they focused just on Jews though. They used religion as a manipulative tool to to get Jews to rally behind them, right? But they didn't succeed and they didn't continue on like Christianity has done because they didn't appeal to Gentiles. They never got enough numbers. And so the movements died off fairly quickly, especially when the Romans came in. Christianity made all the difference though. Christianity continued to survive and thrive because they did follow this formula of Moses, of accepting Gentiles and telling them, when you convert to Judaism, you're going to be accepted among us as though you were born among us. Paul, Christ, and Peter were all embracing this same idea that we just read from Moses in the book of Exodus, guys. Accept our religion, our God, by faith, and we will accept you at least a certain faction within Judaism. And this is the one that won out, right? You know, the the Christian uh, faction. Accept our God, our holy book, our texts by faith, and we will accept you as though you're born among us. We really can't stand you, but we'll pretend to accept you anyway, just so we can use you and pick your pockets too. Like it or not, This is all Christianity is. It's all it ever was. A means of recruiting gullible saps for a Jewish cause and convincing you that in doing so, you're becoming Jewish. Is this what you want? Christian dupes out there, Bible dupes. Is this what you want? Really? Whether you want to realize it, accept it or not, it doesn't matter. Here it is laid out in black and white, right in your not so holy book. That's all your religion has ever been, that's all it is now. It has been used down through the centuries, again and again, as a means of manipulating and exploiting Gentiles. It's still that way today. It's still that way today. But even if it weren't, do you want to be part of a movement that started out that way? That's all it was originally. Christians always talk about how they want to go back to real Christianity, uh, to, to back to its roots, to original apostolic Christianity. Really? Look at what Christianity was in apostolic times. It was a Jewish movement. That's all it was, a branch of Judaism and a means of recruiting Gentiles to advance Jewish causes and to dupe them into thinking that, They're becoming Jews. So as much as you want to deny it as a Bible believer, as a Christian, it doesn't matter. That's all it ever was. A recruitment of Gentiles into Judaism, the Jewification of Gentiles. I'm watching the clock here. I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I think I have till 1130. It's now 11 o'clock. I think I have another half hour. I hope I figured that time out right um let me make sure that uh yeah i'm still logged in so I'll, I'll i'll go for another half an hour here i'm not even going to finish these notes though in that amount of time so i'll carry this over into uh, next uh, next week but anyway um all the while that christians were being told by paul and peter and you know what not that as Gentiles, in becoming Christians, they were becoming Jews, it would then follow that they would need to leave their Gentilism behind. Paul didn't just tell Gentile converts that they were becoming Jews. That wasn't enough. He had to make sure that they left behind their Gentilism, check it at the door to ensure that they got the message that they were to become Jews through and through. This is astonishing. Paul talked about the Gentile Christians of his day as though they were no longer Gentiles because they had become part of the household of God or the new Israel of God. Listen to what he said. For example, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse two, you know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. He said, you were Gentiles. Did you catch that? As Christians now, you're no longer Gentiles. You're Jews. Paul couldn't have made it any clearer. All the while, the hypocritical psychopath was telling them, there's no more Jew. There's no more Greek. In the next breath, he was telling them, you're no longer Gentiles. You're now Jews your children of Abraham by faith. Look at this, guys. Here's another passage along this line, Ephesians 2, 11 to 13, and then verse 19, again, quoting Paul. Wherefore, remember that you, being in time past Gentiles, in other words, in the past, you were Gentiles. Don't forget, you were Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision. Uh, in other words, you were called Gentiles by Jews, uh, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you're no longer aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Now you're natives among the commonwealth of Israel. You're part of Israel. That's what Paul was telling them here. You, as Christian converts, are Jews. You are children of Abraham. You're part of the commonwealth of Israel. It is Gentile recruitment into Judaism. That's all Christianity was. Deny it as you may. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It only matters what the founders of your religion said your religion was. And here we are reading from the founders of your religion, telling you what your religion actually is. So any attempt on your part to deny it, you're just living in a freaking fantasy world. Snap out of it. Unless you actually want to be part of that corrupt nation that loves to ethnically cleanse everyone and wants to rule over them, trample them underfoot, and indeed has done that all through the centuries and certainly is doing it now. Unless you actually want to be a part of that. You'd better stop playing this game. If you actually care about what is true and decent, Paul went on to say, and you were strangers from the Commonwealth uh, and from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world when you were formerly Gentiles. But now that you're, you know, part of the Commonwealth of Israel, now that you're Jews, now you have God as if you would want that demon monster in the sky. Uh, But now in Christ, he said, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh or close to God uh, by the blood of Christ. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Your fellow citizens of what? Of Israel no matter who you are or where you are if you accept Christ by faith Paul says you are citizens of Israel gee going by this if you're a Christian you should be uh, able to take advantage of the right of return and go back to your homeland in Israel Christians why don't you call the Israeli Embassy and see if you can uh, have your plane ride paid for you to go back to your homeland with American taxpayer money, or you can just get dual citizenship, so you can visit your homeland anytime you like and still stay here and be a citizen of Israel, part of the commonwealth of Israel. That's what Paul is saying here, guys. It's exactly what he's saying. Look, here's another passage like this. This is uh, Galatians 6, 15, and 16. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, and as many as walk according to this rule, uh, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Paul was talking here about Christianity as being the Israel of God. So all the while he's saying circumcision doesn't avail anything, neither does uncircumcision. It's meaningless. But all the while that he's saying that, he's telling them when you become Christians, you're becoming part of the Israel of God. So did he really mean what he said? That there's no such thing as Jews and Gentiles anymore. That's all, you know, gone now. We're all one in Christ. But yet he proceeds to say that in becoming a Christian, you're becoming part of Israel. No, Paul didn't mean there's no such thing uh, as, as a difference between Jews and Gentiles. He didn't mean that at all, the phony little hypocrite. Oh, contraire. What he meant was, you're becoming part of us, us Jews. You're becoming part of Israel when you become a Christian. Recruiting Gentiles into Judaism. Uh, moving on to Philippians Uh, 3, verse 3, just so you can see, even though, you know, these passages are redundant, they're all saying the same thing, but it's necessary to quote them all so you can see that Paul was, you know, emphatic about this. This is clearly what he taught. Philippians 3, verse 3 says, for we, Christians, are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus." And have no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision. He used circumcision again as you know a, a synonym for uh, for uh, Judaism. So he's telling his mostly Gentile Christian audience here: We are the circumcision. We are the Jews. We are the nation of Israel. We are the chosen one. Can it get any more clear? How could anybody who professes to be, quote, Jew wise, wise to the fact that, you know, Jewish supremacists down through the centuries have been the enemy of the entire Gentile world, exploiting them, uh, corrupting their governments, you you know, trashing everything, destroying moral standards on and on and on. How could so-called Jew wise Christians? truly be Jew-wise when they're following a religion that was designed to convert them to Judaism, to either make them totally supportive of of Jews and of Israel, or at least neutral in thinking that, well, as Israel gets more and more power. I guess that's part of God's plan. I might not like what Israel is doing, but I I guess this is part of God's plan, so uh, I'm just going to let this happen. I'm not going to voice a protest against it, because God has a, a higher purpose in doing this. That's what a lot of Christians say that aren't openly you know, supportive of Israel. They still think Israel is a part of God's great plan. And so no matter what Israel does, even if they don't like some of the things, well, you know, Israel did a lot of seemingly bad things in Old Testament times too, but that was all part of God's plan. So even though they're killing a lot of Palestinians, I personally wouldn't do that myself, but that must be part of God's plan. Do you see how this book warps your thinking? Do you see how it gets you to accept or at least turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to things that are absolutely abominable? Look at all the passages of Moses murdering the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Amorites and on and on it goes. Bible believers don't have any problem with that. They think, well, that was God's will. It was part of his plan. It gets you to either embrace and cheer on mass murder or at least to accept it as a necessary evil to advance God's cause, God's plan. He's got a higher purpose. Wow. How mind warping can you get? Anyway. In addition to Paul, uh, Many other New Testament figures, of course, uh, talked of Gentiles as being Jews and thus no longer Gentiles. We already looked at an example from Peter, but uh let's go on now to James. James 1 verse 1, it says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, referring, of course, to the various Christian churches, that existed in his day, uh, which were comprised largely of Gentiles. He referred to Christian believers as the 12 tribes, i.e. Israel. Revelation uh, 2, verse 9, and then chapter 3, verse 9, says this. I, this is supposed to be Jesus talking here, I know your works, and your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, meaning spiritually rich in spite of your physical poverty. And I know the blasphemy of them which say that they are Jews, meaning spiritual Jews or Christians, and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. A lot of uh, Jew-wise Christians quote this passage with with a totally uh, totally wrong understanding of it, and they they quote it in the wrong context. They're trying to make it out here to look like Jesus was against the evil Jewish supremacists, uh, that he was against Zionism, you know, on and on. Jesus was a frickin' total Zionist. Don't forget, he said, Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. He looked forward to a time when Jerusalem would rule the world. Jesus was a big fan of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament promised Israel. Yahweh promised Israel in the Old Testament. I will bring all nations before you, they'll bow before you, and let the dust of the soles of your feet, right? Jesus looked forward to that, just like all Jews, hardcore Jews, all down through the centuries have done. And so when you read this passage in that context, it's obvious what Jesus was talking about here. Since Christians uh, were accepted as Jews, Right? And Jesus here is talking to Christians. That's what he was referring to when he said, uh, the, There are those who claim to be Jews but are not, but they're of the synagogue of Satan. All Jesus was talking about here is phony converts to Christianity. They weren't real converts, uh, but they're really of the synagogue of Satan. They say that they're Jews or Christians, but they're not. That's all he was referring to here. He says the same thing in, in you know, Revelation 3 9 as well. He talks about those who claim that they're Jews, but they're not. He's not talking here, uh, you know, at this late stage of the game. This is, uh, this you know, the book of Revelation was written after the sacking of Jerusalem. This is admitted by, uh, you know, Christians across the board, as well as non-Christians, you know, secular scholars. The book of Revelation is believed to have been written around 90 AD, 20 years after the sacking of Jerusalem. So, if this is supposed to be Jesus, it's not, of course, but, you know, he was dead by then. Whether he he died on the cross or lived, you know, decades after and, and died at the time of the Roman sacking with his uprising, doesn't matter. He was dead by this time. And so, the, the, the author of Revelation who wrote this and put these words in Christ's mouth wasn't talking about actual Jews, you know, the physical Jews, right? Why would he? This is a, a Christian now. Why would he be speaking about them? Do, do, do you see how, you know, Christians today who quote this, who claim to be Jew-wise, who try to make it look like Jesus was against, you know, corrupt Jews, it, they're not even understanding the context in which this was written. They're just taking it and twisting it the way they want to interpret it. But if you look at it from the late first century perspective, John was addressing, or he's having Jesus address, the general Christian audience of that day as Jews, just like all these other passages we've been looking at, where Paul refers to Jewish, I mean, to Gentile converts as Jews. He called them, you know, part of the Commonwealth of Israel or the children of Abraham. That's all that this passage is doing here that has Jesus talking, supposedly from up in heaven, you know. That's all it's doing. It's referring to Christians as Jews. Just like later, in uh, chapter 21 and 22 of of, uh, Revelation, it refers to heaven as the new Jerusalem, making Jerusalem the focus, where Christians are supposedly going to dwell for all eternity in Jerusalem, or the rebuilt New Jerusalem, right? Reinforcing the idea that when you become a Christian, you're becoming a Jew. Anyway, guys, uh, it looks like a good place to stop there. I'll pick up, uh, hey, what do you know? I got halfway through the notes, so I should finish this up uh, on the next show next next Monday. I don't know, guys. The morning show, uh, uh, boy, I think it's creating more problems than... Uh, than I thought it would. I thought it would make things easier, but it's getting kind of hectic. I'm going to talk to Kyle and see if maybe we can just go back to the uh, the nighttime show. Um, uh, I might just have to be like an old man and take naps on Mondays and Tuesdays just so my eyes aren't so tired. Uh, anyways, anyways. So I think I did make it to the whole show without swearing though, so that's good. <laughs> This is something that you can share with, uh, you know, Bible believers, hopefully to snap them out of their uh, delirium. But um, I got some more interesting stuff, you know, coming up in the second half of this presentation. Very interesting stuff, both inside and outside the Bible. Some very interesting quotes, guys, where Christians down through the centuries have actually admitted, Christian leaders have actually admitted, that Judaism is, in fact, I mean Christianity is, in fact, nothing but uh, but Judaism. That's all it is. That's all it is. Warmed-over Judaism, slightly modified to deceive Gentiles, to lure them in and convince them that it's all about them. That, you know that they're just as important as, uh, as God's chosen eyes are. But it's just a tactic of recruitment. Originally, it was intended just to get people to help support the insurrectionist movement. But even when that failed, and Rome was sacked by the, the Romans, although that wasn't a failure as far as the insurrectionists were concerned. That went exactly the way they wanted. They actually wanted the Jewish leadership overturned. But um, they saw no reason to to stop Christianity at that point. Why should they? They could. They realized they could still use this army of recruits Uh, for any number of causes in the future, and all the while, exploit them every week when the collection bucket went by. Make money off of them. Look at today, guys. Look how prosperous Christianity is for the televangelists. Those scoundrels make millions. Some of them billions. Look at Pat Robertson. That's a billion-dollar empire he's got going. Do you think he honestly believes in any of the, the crap that he spews every, uh, you know, every day on the show. It's a business for him, as it is for all the other phony uh, televisions. Anyways, guys, all right, I'm going to stop it there. Um, so we'll catch you uh, on Monday. I'm going to see, like I said, about going back to evening shows. This isn't quite working out. Uh, anyways, have a good rest of the week. We'll catch you on Monday. Take care.